Um, and it's because she's sassy. She's unbothered by these men. She's unbothered by the patriarchy. Yeah. She sort of takes in these murder ladies and gives them yeah. someone to love. Um, yeah, which is and it weird. Makes, She's it's like, so you're weird. a murderer, I'm a murderer. We should get together and talk about murder. Yeah. I mean, you know, all let's be a murder team. That's not sexy. That's not sexy. That's not sexy. That's not sexy. Welcome to That's Not Sexy with Alexis and AJ. Here we are to talk about how the movies we grew up with gave us some very wild and often very unhealthy ideas about romantic relationships and sex. Join us this week as we revisit Basic Instinct and then probably tear it to shreds. With an ice pick. (laughs) (laughs) We'll show it our beavers. This podcast discusses sex, sexual violence, relationship issues, trauma, explicit and or weird sexual situations, situations that you might find sexy and we really disagree, romantic encounters that make us feel icky, and a number of other things that aren't for everyone. This podcast may probably include words and phrases that you may find offensive. If you feel that any of this may not be for you, we understand. Um, All right, you want to do this? I am ready. I'm also ready for cannolis, but I'm ready. I'm ready to talk. Um, I am calling this week's film Basic Instinct. No. But it's Basic Instinct. It is Basic Instinct. So uh, 1992, Basic Instinct is released. It's a neo-noir sexy thriller developed by Paul Verhoeven. So he is coming off this movie with a huge hit in RoboCop. Mm-hmm. A huge hit in Total Recall, uh, also starring Sharon Stone. Yep. Great movies. She was great in Total Recall, but she was still, as of this filming, a nobody. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. And she's yep. just this gorgeous. Also, she's not in it that long. And then Paul Verhoeven goes on to direct uh, the infamous and future That's Not Sexy film, Showgirls. It's a big hit. Grosses $352 million wow, that's at so the box money. office. Huge. And that's not even adjusted for, you know, Yeah, that's today. Wow. Yeah, that's, I don't know math, but I bet it'd be more now. Makes Sharon Stone a huge superstar. That's a household yeah. name. Because she was good in it and not just because she yeah. showed her vagine to a group. Yeah, of her vagine. <laughs> her um, shave, shave and vagine. It was trimmed. It's nice. It was a nicely quaffed. Yeah. Uh, vagine. Not to say that you can have you can have any version that you want. I'm just saying yep. that in this particular scene, quite groovy. Very nineties. I, I got to be honest. A very nineties was, was like groomed eyebrows, very fastidious, beautifully arched eyebrows, and you want to keep the whole lady in a in a lovely trimmed, maybe a little bacon strip. It was the era of the landing strip. I don't think that kids these That's days right. know about that. But that no, was they the missed time. it. No, they missed it. They missed it entirely. 
It's Sorry, fine. kids. It's it's really fine, actually. Um, unfortunately, and it also launched her into the stratosphere on, in, in some sad ways. The everybody, whether any age you are, you've either seen Basic Instinct, you've seen the scene, the infamous "What are you going to do? Arrest me for smoking" scene with the uncrossing of the legs and the coochie shot seen around the world. Yep. You've seen the parodies on it on SNL, the commercial parodies, right? So it really joined the the culture in a huge way. One mm -hmm. of the first times you've really seen a lady's coochie coochie in a ra regular rated R movie. Totally. That's a blockbuster. Uh, but but sadly, I and there, this is disputed. I'm going to put this up as a disputed fact. <laughs> but I will say that Sharon Stone herself has said the scene was used against her in a custody battle for her child. And also, she said that they didn't uh, tell her that they were shooting directly into her vagina. Yes, yes, yes. So it's really a coerced. Yeah, it was. It was. It was done without her consent. Not okay to do that as a director. You have to. You have to get consent on all fronts. Yeah, I don't like that. It. It makes me think of the whole thing that happened with the, the original Romeo and Juliet, where the director oh. lied to the children. Right. In yes. the film. That was um, the whole thing. Gross. Uh, all right. Want to hear two log lines? I do. All right. Whilst investigating a savage murder, an edgy police detective becomes embroiled with the victim's seductive and manipulative lover. Okay. Direct. Or we have the mysterious Catherine Trammell, a beautiful crime novelist, becomes a suspect when she is linked to the brutal death. Of a rock star. Not bad. Technically, he was a former rock star, but sure. <laughs> An aged, decrepit. Aged. Horny. An aged rock star. He seemed nice in their description. He did. He seemed like a friendly dude. He seemed fine. I just want to say, off the top for the record, I uh, I hated this movie so much. Did you much. hate it always? No. I didn't hate it always. I've only seen it. it once before. Oh. Saw it when I was maybe a maybe 20 or something like that. Like wow, on cable. Okay. And at the time I think I thought it was weird and you know kind of sexy and kind of dark and a little problematic, but my overall feeling about it was like wow, Sharon Stone is gorgeous. Um, she is. It's really so it's insane, right? She's beautiful um, in everything, but she's very beautiful in this. Yeah, like undeniable. And I also thought, why would anyone ever doubt that she was guilty? My takeaway oh. was, how would anybody <laughs> for one minute because <laughs> ever how, in this okay. way? Because who would be so stupid as to write a book about exactly the murder they were going to commit? That would be so who. Dumb. So clearly she's innocent. Clearly. Uh, but yeah, no, I didn't hate it. And, you know, just the years that have passed in my own journey and the world's journey, I just despised it this time. I really thought it was an awful, mean-spirited, terrible movie. What okay, about you? What about you then and now? I have seen it so many times. It was, ah, and so I think right? it was probably like, I definitely found it super sexy when it first came out. Okay. And I think that that was just because I was a young teenager and 
yeah. didn't didn't pay any attention to the um <laughs> the violent sexual assault portions of anything. Mm-hmm. I think I was into Hitchcock and I did not notice until this time watching it that that's what it reminded me of. And and yes. Hitchcock movies are kind of bad. Like they're not like if if you were going to make one of those now You'd be like, this is a trope. This is so predictable. I know who did it. Like, there's there wouldn't be a lot of mystery. It's more about the visual and all that kind of stuff. And I think that maybe that's the kind of thing that I liked back then. And so I, I just don't think that I could throw away my original feelings of it entirely. I mean, I don't like any of the characters in it except for Sharon, Sharon Stone. And she's a murderer. And, she's, and she is <laughs> the really murderer. I don't know. I felt like... I felt like, you know what? She might have had a reason. I don't know. Weirdly, I agree. She was the only character that I did like, oddly, on this viewing as well. Um, And it's because she's sassy. She's unbothered by these men. She's unbothered by the patriarchy. She sort of takes in these murder ladies and gives them someone to love. Um, Which is weird. It's She's so like, you're weird. a murderer, I'm a murderer, we should get together and talk about murder. Yeah. I mean, you know, all let's be a murder team, let's you know? I can, team. with this ice pick. I, I think I liked it okay when I was younger, but it didn't, I remember thinking the club scene was very sexy. It's very um, sexy. And, and also, that is actually a realistic club scene from the 90s. Like, we well, see, because you lived in New York. I lived in New York and I lived in Boston. The club scene in Boston in well, like in the late '90s when I lived there was slamming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing. It was so fun. So, so you could make out on the dance floor, do cocaine with your girlfriend and a dude in the bathroom, and just make everything <laughs> delicious. It was yeah, it was felt fun, and there was there was there was like cage dancers, and one of the clubs that we used to go to was uh, had these really elaborate drag queens dressed in like powdered wigs and Victorian outfits. I mean, it was, it was super over the top. It was so lavish and crazy. And I don't think that that is a thing now. It, like the club scene is kind of, well, at least even when I left New York in 2009, it had kind of died off. I also, this is also set in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like it that, that Michael Douglas is kindly referred to as edgy. When in reality, he's an absolute piece of shit, maniac, yeah. rapist yeah. who like murdered tourists and is yeah, just he, the worst. He's not edgy. It's not cute that they call him Shooter. Everything about it is weird and gross. We're supposed to be rooting for two gross people. Like technically, Sharon Stone, is, it's just her character comes across as, for, for some reason, likable. Meanwhile, she definitely killed the guy with the ice pick in the first scene. And yeah. then, spoiler alert, it was sorry. Um, yeah, and then he's garbage too. So you're like the two people in it that you're supposed to, if you're going to root for anyone, root for them are garbage. So yeah. Yeah. tell me where we're at. Where are we at in the world when little AJ and little um, Alexis? Yeah, this was an interesting year. On the movie side of things, this movie was protested by the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. It sucked. <laughs> hard that the that the one bisexual relationship that they provided us with a view of was a violent one like one that involved violence so like I get it I totally I I understand 
as far as the things that were going on in the that year, I think that it's important to rewind very slightly because 91 was the confirmation hearing of Clarence Thomas, during which Anita Hill testified to his sexual harassment. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. So, so hard. To anyone who is young and unfamiliar with the that testimony, I watched the whole hearing. And I wasn't even particularly involved in that kind of thing at that point. I wasn't like, yeah, I was, I was early on in my interest in politics and law and all those kind of things that I then ended up being overwhelmingly obsessed with now. But it was, I was a baby at that time. And I remember being completely glued to what was going on, but so young and I couldn't understand why no one, no one seemed to be taking her seriously. Yeah. I could not yeah. understand. I was like, I am listening to this. We're all hearing the same thing. And I don't understand how I've come away with what is apparently not the opinion of the 14 white men <laughs> that were doing mm. the confirmation hearing, including, and I'm sorry to say, a Mr. Joe Biden. And and I think he's apologized since. He has. Uh, but it, not that that makes up for it. So anyway, okay. So that was, I just think that that was super big deal because that was what led up to 92 being called the year of the woman. Um, the yep. next year of the woman was 2018 because it was the second like big wave of women getting into politics. But the Anita Hill testimony was the precursor to more people, more women running for office. By the way, my information almost entirely comes from feminist.org, which is an incredibly good website. So if anyone ever wants to go down that rabbit hole, it's all in there. Okay. Vice President Dan Quayle charged that the Los Angeles riots were a result of a poverty of values and the breakdown of family structure, saying, in quote, it doesn't help matters when primetime TV has a Murphy Brown character who supposedly epitomizes today's intelligent, highly paid, professional woman, mocking the importance of fathers by bearing a child alone and calling it just another lifestyle choice. It was, there was just so much going on to really, really try to restrict women's body autonomy. And so it's really interesting to have this movie come out at that point, I think. Absolutely. A lot going on. And uh, I think that centers us in this world and helps us to sort of inform, you know, what was pioneering about this movie, what was still backwards thinking about this movie. And the fact that this movie is definitely very much still made for the pleasure of white men. Yes. uh, With one strong character who can only be strong if her downside is that she's also a murderer. So. A strong sexual character offset yep. by murder. Offset by murder. Uh, real quick, the you and I love Roger Ebert. We like to check in every ep. Yes. Please. And we like to just say, hey. What what has he got to say? Tell what, me. Uh, what our buddy think. Spoiler, he did hate this movie. <laughs> he did. Uh, so basically, he says... This is not a movie where the outcome depends on the personality or behavior of the characters. It is just a wind-up machine to jerk us around. This is the kind of ending beloved by marketing experts. 
The audience likes the heroine, make her innocent. They hate her, make her the killer. Only one shot is changed, has to be changed. As a result, I left the feeling, the movie feeling depressed and manipulated because it didn't matter how hard I tried to follow the plot or figure things out. The whole movie was just toying with me. It's a severe <laughs> one. Yeah, he came knives out. Yeah. And you know, he, I think he's right, which we'll talk about it later. But yeah. the movie as a detective movie is a complete failure Agreed. because there are no actual breadcrumbs to follow. Every scene you think she might be guilty, they'll follow up with the scene that the movie is making you feel she might be innocent. Mm -hmm. So it's like they never play fair with you. And so by the end, when you get to the big shot where she's, uh, she's boning Michael Douglas after everything is settled and they're going to be a real kind of couple, you see the ice pick. Yeah. And the movie's like, the movie's over. Yeah. And it's like, they're just telling you, the audience, by the way. You were right in all the times that you thought that she was the killer. Yeah. And yeah. so, ha ha, now they're going to make a life together. And she's just choosing not to murder him right now. Yeah. Uh, he also had a really good point on the, on the sexiness of it, where he said, the sex resembles a violent contact sport with a scoring system known only to the players. Okay. Well, so depending on what scene you're talking about, either yes, or you're just referring to assault. So yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know. <laughs> it's a contact sport. It is a violent movie in many ways. In many ways. Um, but uh, we yeah. set the scene right, right off the bat. It starts out with full on hot blonde fucking a dude. We've got nude butt cheeks. We yeah. got boobies. We got finger sucking, uh, a long silky scarf for some kinky bondage play. It, is it Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone? We don't know. We, we, do, we do know. We do know. Uh, and it ends with Ice Pick Murder Most Foul. Ice Pick Murder Most Foul, which she really hated doing. You know, she knocked him out in that scene. No, the, the actor, actor that was the rock star? She knocked him unconscious because the director... What is his name again? Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven uh, kept telling her to basically go harder. And uh, she thought that she may have killed him for real and was horrified and was all, but had actually knocked him out. That is not surprising. No, it's really insane. She, she did not enjoy filming that scene at all. She was really traumatized by it. Touche. So yes, start I mean. with trauma. Yeah. And then we meet Michael Douglas and his partner, uh, Gus. Gus. And cute little dumb cowboy. Gus is so dumb. Gus. And like, I understand that there's a ding, ding, ding trope, you know, the dumb cop sidekick, but he's really dumb. <laughs> like he's real, he's real stupid. I agree, but I will counter. Yeah, he please. He steadfastly, from the first time he sees the crime scene, first time he meets Sharon Stone, is steadfast that she is the killer. Yes, he is right. I think so my, not, the the feeling of him being uh, real dumb, <laughs> and and I'm I'm sorry. Ghost is like a ham fed. Uh, he wears a cowboy hat. He's like a he's like a San Francisco middle aged cowboy. Yeah, he he calls himself that, and he calls uh, he calls Michael Douglas's character Nick uh, Hoss. Throughout the Hoss. whole thing, where I'm Hoss. like, oh. also, 
Newman from Seinfeld is in this movie. Went, Newman. Newman. <laughs> and he's very sweaty and very gross. He's actually uh, probably one of the better detectives. Hey, he also understands that she's a killer. Oh, he also thinks it's her, 100%. So I will just take, a, take an aside here. When we meet Catherine Trammell, great name, she is at her gorgeous, it's supposed to be outside of San Francisco. It looks like Big Sur to me. That's what I said. I know exactly where it is. It's in Carmel. I oh, it's it Carmel. And I actually know the house. Uh, and it's amazing. Both, both of the houses that she owns in this movie are both currently appraised at around 20 mil. So they're Okay, so affordable. Totally affordable properties. Yep. Like in our range, you and me. Absolutely. Not a problem. Yeah. Actually, no, I mean, I looked at the Zillow. Unfortunately, neither are for sale. So. Uh, well, next time. We'll next get them, kid. Uh, I, I want to just do an ode to when you first lay eyes on Sharon Stone, she is so young and so golden. Her golden girl makeup, her cashmere cardigan, everything is effortlessly purring. You know, you want to fuck me, but I'm better than you. And yeah. I love the way she says, arrest me and I'll go downtown. Otherwise, kindly fuck off, please. And that, I literally was like, happened. I am in love with her. Yes, that's what having two $20 million homes and $100 million in the bank will get you. Yeah, yeah. Like the ability to say, fuck off to the police. Yeah, and it's where we also learn, and this is good for us, it's kind of fun. Uh, we learn she's worth 110 mil. Mm -hmm. We assume she still has that in the bank because she is also a successful writer, so she has her own right. stream of income. Uh, her new book is called Love Hurts, a little on the nose. A little bit on the nose. Okay. <laughs> so there's also a fun line you talk about how stupid Gus is. You know, he's talking to this, you know, multimillionaire heiress, successful writer, and he says, Are you a professional? Meaning, is she a sex worker? Yes. And she says, No, I'm an amateur, uh, which I liked. And she also basically, so her character is right in the beginning. She is sex forward, she likes to fuck. Yep. She's not going to apologize. And she's very open right off the bat. I like men and I like women. Yeah. She's unabashedly a sexual person who's not going to apologize for her sexuality. And I think that's one of the reasons that you kind of, or at least I kind of root for her character because I'm like, no, this woman is living her life. Let her live it. Minus the murder. Okay. We can just caveat the whole thing with minus the murder, but let her live her life. Like she's having a good time. If she wants to do a bunch of different people, do a bunch of different people. That's well, you know, and this was before there was really the same feeling about polyamory too. You yeah, know, they, were, meaning they were astounded by the fact that she had been sleeping with someone for a year and a half that she was not in a relationship with. And they kept yeah. on asking her to clarify. And she kept oh, yeah. clarifying to say, no, we had a good time together. We slept together. We did not, we were not in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, just, this stuff hasn't aged at all. And just in terms of like, I mean, it makes sense. It's where society was for a lot of the reasons that you're outlining, you know, in our setup. You know, that this is the first meeting that they have. So now we're on the board. It's Mike Douglas trying to catch possibly a killer in Sharon Stone. Um, at this point, we're introduced to Gene Triplehorn of Big Love fame. Oh, yeah. Big Love. Yeah. So this is a very sort of typical expo dump where we learn that their exes 
We learn that he's a former alcoholic and drug addict. Mm -hmm. We learn that he was briefly put on leave, but ultimately cleared of murdering tourists. Two tourists. Yeah, he shot them because they were in the line of fire. I was like, I don't know, man. That sounds like that sounds like you're drunk and undercover and you made a big, big bad mistake. He's sober in the beginning of this movie only for three months. He had been yep. sober for three months and only because he was under review. Yes. The yes. second that she clears him, he's like, I'll have a double <laughs> and make that a double double. Yeah. Yeah. It's also the way that you see pretty early on, Sharon Stone clearly has his number dialed because she starts doing this thing where when they interact, she keeps offering him a cigarette. Yep. And it becomes a kind of a fun cat and mouse game where you know eventually he's going to give in and smoke because she's just too hard to resist so that you can kind of chart his downfall back into the world we knew he was going to get back to anyway, we knew being we kind of a seedy there. guy. We yeah. knew he was going there. You you never look at him and think, there's a guy who's going to stay sober and nicotine free. Right. <laughs> it's never and is healthy. Never a chance. You know right from the beginning that he's not only going to have sex with Sharon. hundred percent. A million percent. Uh, also take her cigarettes and her alcohol. Like it's all just going to come flooding back in. Yeah. I, and I also- oh, I want to, well, I just want go going back to like the relationship with Dr. Beth. Yes. Um, I keep calling her Jeannie T in my mind for no- uh, my, my, my notes all say Dr. Beth just because I thought it was- it's funny that she's Dr. Beth and like all I'll the join you lineups. in I'll join you in Dr. Beth. Yeah, Dr. Beth. Their relationship is is she's his therapist, basically, his his um job appointed, police appointed therapist that mm -hmm. they've slept together a whole bunch in the past. And I don't understand what they I mean, there's no way to know unless we actually find some interview addressing it. But like, I don't understand if that was a, a thing of the time, like it was just sort of like, oh, that might happen in the police department. Like the whole department knew that he had slept with their therapist. That's so that would never happen now. It couldn't. But Lex, this is before there was such a thing as conflict of interest. It didn't exist. That's what I mean. You yeah, just like couldn't. That's you I mean. couldn't have it. It, yeah. it. You could be sleeping with someone and be assessing them for internal affairs <laughs> and be on the case and be married to them and be their drug dealer. It was like, it's, yeah, who, it's all fine. It was, I, I just kept writing. So <laughs> ethics. <laughs> yeah. Just. I mean, and there, to be fair, they're also setting her up as a little stalkery. You know, there's this moment where she looks at him and she says, I still miss you, Nick. So yeah. we're definitely be giving her as keep an eye on this lady who's cock drunk. You know, from Michael right Douglas. From the very second that they it, like, right from when she's introduced, basically, that she's still obsessed with him, unhealthily yeah. yep. obsessed with him. Right. A heads up, Doctor Beth is sexy. They've had a sexual relationship, but she's mousy brown hair, and Sharon Stone is blonde hair, which, which does means. matter in these movies. <laughs> yes. Which means be on alert. Sexy. Sexy yeah. and crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So Sharon Stone is sexy blonde. Jean Triplehorn is brunette who's probably obsessed because she's not as sexy. And really, as a brunette, I do not like that. I, I take offense. So then Michael Douglas brings in Sharon Stone for questioning. Mm -hmm. And 
when he walks in, she's reading a paper talking about how he was cleared of this shooting. So we know right off the bat that Sharon Stone is investigating him Mm -hmm. while he's investigating her. There's so many opportunities to talk about how the whole optics of her character versus all of the male police officers Mm -hmm. is that she's deviant. Like everything about her, the fact that she's single, the fact that she's wealthy, the fact that she, you know, has these degrees, all of those things like on their own would be maybe fine, but they all add up to, oh my God. And then also she just sleeps with whoever she wants to sleep with. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. You know, it's just like this, nobody can even believe it. They're scandalized. And I'm like, are you though? You're police officers. Are you actually scandalized by this? Well, I feel like, so there's this great, this is exactly to what you're saying. She defies them and says, what are you going to do? Arrest me for smoking. Famous line. She delivers it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's flat out. She says, I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting and he gave me a lot of pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very, very much of the time that these white, you know, pretend puritanical males. Yeah. Because in reality, they're, they're very turned on by her. They're very turned um, on. And also they've seen everything. They are cops in San Francisco. I'm like, there's, you can't have it both ways, guys. Like, no. you, can't, you can't be simultaneously scandalized, completely manipulated by a woman that's just wearing a short skirt yeah. and also, you know, do your job. Like, I don't, mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Um, but I think they're trying to control her, right? So they're like, did you tie him up? And then she's like, yeah, they're like, did She's like, I like hands and fingers. And she's very cheeky and very sexy. And she's toying with them as they're trying to cow and manipulate her. Yeah, she knows Um, what she's doing. Yeah. And it's very clear that Michael Douglas wants some of that ass. And then there is the coochie shot scene around the world. Scene around the world. I didn't think that it was as big of a deal as it was made out to be at the time. Agreed. I, I mean... Yeah, it was definitely a big deal for her, and it was a major mm-hmm. plot thing. You know, it was a thing to talk about. But it was—I mean, it wasn't like there. You couldn't see a lot. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, it was a really good scene, and that was kind of it. It, it wasn't that it, she showed, you know, like a between the leg shot. It was that it was a good scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or that's what it should be, right? But like the I way it was a fun scene. It was a fun scene, and it was actually kind of funny because, for me, when I first saw the movie, I remember thinking it was sexy and cheeky, mm-hmm. and I could tell she didn't have panties on, but only because of the, sort of like a blur of how she yeah. crossed her legs, but I couldn't see anything. I literally paused it and rewound it three <laughs> times, I guess, which is, I don't know, curiosity, yeah. and I could see a little ladyscaping and a yeah. little lady middle, but- I think part of what makes it so actually such a big deal and so sexy and evocative is it's not a wide open gaping beavers no. for sale shot. No. It's a blink and you miss it almost like a strip tease. Yeah. That I think made people more horned up for it and made it a bigger thing because it's not really pornography in an X-rated movie way, really. Yeah, no, it was it was it was um more sensual than it was any, you know, like actual sexy like a it was a and tease. she's controlling it yeah she's like yeah. oh hello her self-awareness 
the fact that she knows that she just did that in front of all of these men is the mm-hmm. thing that is actually the thing in the scene. It's not yes. the coochie shot. <laughs> it's not yeah, that. The coochie shot. The fact that she is in control of the whole the whole thing, and they think they have no idea how to how to have control over the room. There's it's impossible. No, they're flummoxed. They're flummoxed. Um, and then by the end of they're flummoxed. Then by the end of the scene, she says. Uh, have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? It's nice. And Nick is like, you like playing games, don't you? And she says, I have a degree in psychology. It goes with the turf. Games are fun. And you know, at that point, the rest of this movie is going to be what it is. Yeah. Which is a cat and mouse game between the two of us, very sexual. And he's going to find out, is she really guilty or is she not really guilty? And he's not sure. Yep. And that kind of, you know, she may be a killer. She's obviously twisted and manipulative. You know, but he's mesmerized and magnetically drawn. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the next major scene is him falling off the wagon and then Mm -hmm. going home with Dr. Beth. Mm -hmm. There's so much to unpack in this scene. Like, I don't feel like we should call it anything but but what it is. It is a rape scene. It is a rape. It is a rape. And I didn't identify it when I first saw this movie, but it, it hit me hard. It is this a rape. Very similar to the nine and a half week situation. It's very similar mm-hmm. to, to, you know, stuff we talked about before, which is just like we now with all of our experience and also in our current world understand mm-hmm. that what is happening there is that. And you enter into the scene thinking, okay, well, they've ha- they've slept together before. They know each other. Perhaps like this is because it just sort of starts out as like you know the the, the slammed against the wall you know maybe oh, a little bit our rough, favorite yeah like the torn clothing and whatever mm-hmm. but it's so it you're like eh, I don't know but while they didn't discuss any consent maybe that you know okay uh, maybe this is their thing and then she proceeds to say no 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 and he yeah. forces himself on her anyway from behind on this like, couch. Yeah. I mean, she's saying no. She's yeah. saying no. She's saying no. And this is the, I think, such an important thing because so she stops fighting him, which is very, that is, I'm not, I don't know how to say it, typical, but like, what are you going to do in that? So he is right. bigger. He is, mm-hmm. you know, he is violent. So yes, she just gives in. She's like, that's yes. like, it yeah. starts out that way and then it goes directly into, you know, oh, she, she she gave into it. She ended up liking it at the end. And then they're sort of like lying together. You that know, awkward afterward. cuddle made the me want to barf. At the end with her like torn clothing. So there are things in my life that happened years ago that only after, you know, literally a decade or more, I was like, oh, that was an assault or that was a even in the most minimal way, a very unacceptable situation. A couple of sets of thoughts. I think in the world of this director and in the world of the storytelling, I think they think it's rough sex. Absolutely. They think incorrectly. Yeah. And therefore they somehow have Gene Triplehorn thinking unfairly. Wow. That was rough. It's clear he's been drinking. It's not the sex that I normally go for, but I love him. And now Mm -hmm. we're going to snuggle and I'm going to tell the story about how I went to Berkeley with Catherine Trammell Mm -hmm. and she's no good. 
Um, and she, we had an affair together and then she cut her hair to look like me. And so I feel like it's a really shitty scene because you get into it with a rape and then it turns to this info dump that now is, is taking us uh, down the line of going, wait, Jean, uh, Dr. Beth is actually knows Catherine Trammell and we've got the next wrinkle. Yeah. And so I feel like there's the movie version of what happened. In the movie, it takes a right turn into a totally different thing. And you're just left like, well, okay, I guess that didn't really just happen. Also, yes. she is, look at her position in the police department. She can't tell right. anyone. She could never tell anyone because it was, she would lose her job. She would, she would be shunned. They would take his side. That is what would have happened to her. Yes. It would never have worked out in her favor. So even if she had a moment of thinking, yes. God damn it, he just he just raped me. Yeah. It doesn't it, it's it's immediately put away because you're like, well, my career, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. That whole scene and that whole dynamic, that's not sexy. <laughs> it's not sexy. That's not sexy. It's exactly and, it. And also for the gay activists, which I'm putting that in parentheses you, of the time. Yeah. I think are rightfully reacting to this idea. Catherine Trammell is a bisexual character, maybe a murderer. Jean Triplehorn is a bisexual character, also unstable, and maybe a murderer. Yeah. And in a movie so as with did Roxy, as as did Roxy, who we find out Roxy was a murderer, who is um Sharon Stone's lover. Yeah. Current lover. Yeah. And so for a movie that gives you three bisexual characters and frames all of them as murderers, it's really shitty representation. And I don't blame anybody in the gay community for being like, hey, fuck this. Yeah, it's not It's not a good portrayal at all. It's all, it's all bad. <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah. good. Well, because it's like at least Sharon Stone also has sex with men, which means she could be more attracted to the male gaze. Whereas yeah. Roxy only is actually really in love with Sharon Stone, which makes her, ew, I'm not interested. I'm interested yeah. in watching two girls make like make out and then I can have sex with them as a man. Yeah. But a woman that's just a lesbian? No, absolutely like, not. What is it? What's in it for me? Yeah, yeah, not interested in that woman. This leads us to the scene where Mike goes to visit Sharon in a gorgeous taupe outfit where she just looks amazing. I think it's always very interesting when, and I would do it too, when someone writes a script like this and one of the people is extraordinarily wealthy because it mm -hmm. allows you to do things that you wouldn't normally be allowed to do with the script. Like she yes. has two homes. So there's a lot of, you know, where is she at? Like, what's she doing? She has a fast car that plays into, you know, Roxy's death. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very visible, you know, fast, sexy car. And also it allows for the sex scenes to be opulent when they're yes. in, like, like Michael Douglas and her, when they first hook up, they hook up in her bedroom, which is yes. gigantic. And like the size of a home. Holy lush as hell. It is like a hotel. It's like the plaza. It is crazy. And she has the most wonderful late eighties, early nineties mirror above the bed. Oh, um, you have to it. have it. You have to have it. But all of those things are, you don't, even think about that being weird because you're like she is a multimillionaire. So, right, of course, they they do hook up. She's also playing games like she outs him when they're making out about how his wife committed suicide. So she's ratcheting the stakes up on him. 
Um, we also find out she's got a friend who killed her whole family. So we're getting, yeah. we're sort of ramping up the intrigue. Do you think they implied that she also may have had a sexual relationship with the much older woman who, her name is escaping me now, the one that killed her whole family? I think it's implied. There is a impl- there's a subtle implication that she may also be a part of her, like she sleeps with every single one of her research sources. Yes. I did wonder if it was sexual with them or if it was more like she was learning at the feet mm-hmm. of yeah. this intriguing killer. But I thought that it was implied that it's not off the table. Yeah, I, I felt like it was quite on the table, honestly, especially at the end. Yeah. Uh, and so we know he's off the rails now. So now he's boning Sharon Stone and he still tells her, hey, I'm going to catch you. Like, I'm going to be fucking you, but I'm still going to catch you and I'm still mm-hmm. going to get evidence against you. So we're like, we're in a crazy game. In the meantime, he runs into Dr. Beth again and he's screaming at her again. She attacks him. He picks her up and literally tosses her body to the side and says, are you nuts? And then she apologizes to him. And I'm telling you, this mother trucker screams at everybody in this entire movie. He's got the least impulse control. No, he he is unhinged in this entirely. But that's the thing. It's also, that was such a typical portrayal of a cop in the 90s. Was like someone who got it done no matter what they had to do. And they were just like, they they were unhinged, but that's what made them good at their job. They were fearless, whatever. I'm like, literally every time him and Dr. Beth are in the same scene together, he assaults her in some way. Like he does it in the hallway of the police station at one point. He like he rips pulls her, her shirt down, her shirt off, off her shoulder. And I was like, oh my lord, this woman and this man need to be separated indefinitely. No, they yeah. do. They need co-restraining orders. And then there's this whole other thing. Is basically what happens is it becomes clear through a series of unfortunate events that somebody is out for Michael Douglas. Now, it's odd because the movie never makes you wonder if Michael Douglas is doing these things. So there's no cat and mouse there. Yeah. Meaning his boss cop is murdered. Yeah. And it looks like he might have done it. Then Roxy is murdered. He definitely kills Roxy. <laughs> okay, here's the question. I don't yeah. know what I think. He he Does he, he kill Roxy? They're heading, are, are, like, aren't they? He, they're headed at each other. They're, okay, they're, that's they're true. Playing chicken, basically, by the end of it, he she did come after him in the beginning, but then he got pissed, drove up a sidewalk because he's an insane person. Because he's an insane, not person. a wacko, but a person who's cut, insane. Her, cut her off, and then went at her from the front. So, like, I guess you're right. Yeah, they're they're going at each other. That's how she goes off the side of the embankment into you know the construction pit was because he you're right with her and he did not need to be that way she he killed her whoa he did yeah he did i think in my mind i was so against or i was so in the because obviously sharon stone killed the cop i thought maybe she had cut roxy's brakes wait hold on am i am i totally clueless sharon did sharon stone kill the cop or did beth kill the cop Sharon Stone killed the cop. Yeah. Sharon Stone killed up the killed the cop to frame Dr. Beth. And then she also killed Gus to frame Dr. Beth. And she also planted the wig and everything. 
Mm -hmm. to frame Dr. Beth after she knew Michael Douglas would kill Dr. Beth because she knows that Dr. That Michael Douglas murders people without seeing a gun because she's been, she's been following, she calls him shooter. She's been following him for a long time. Yeah. She knows. And now she's writing this book about the shooter cop. Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's talk about for a second before we move on to the denouement fun stuff. Well, the, the big finish that's coming. Uh Uh-huh. Let's talk about the sort of sex that Michael and and, uh, Sharon Stone have. Yeah. Okay. Did you notice that for as much of what um, Lieutenant Nick calls Sharon Stone the fuck of the century, she only seems to have one move. Yeah. Which is she ties him up. She's on top. She does the wildest gyrations on earth. Yeah. Then- She's got to arch her back all the way and hold their ankle, which I'm not quite sure what feels so incredible about that to men that it makes them lose their mind. Well, then part of the time she grabs a pick yeah, exactly. and murders them. Or same not. move, but no murder. I refer to her move as the mousetrap, where she <laughs> just like flings herself like up at his face at the very end. The mousetrap. We're calling it the mousetrap. Don't try this at home, kids. Not a good idea. Not a move. It's not Mm -mm. a move. Clearly she had, I think it's kind of amazing on her part to have come up with something like that as a move, as as like, you know, her sex move that she It's her sex move. It's her sex move because it lends itself to the fact that she could also have an ice pick in her hand and kill you. She's got freedom. She has freedom of mobility. Just be flopped down in, you know, like exhausted ecstasy on you. Or she could be stabbing your jugular. Those are these. Yeah. So those are the two. It it suits both. So the mousetrap is good for all occasions is what I'm saying. It's like um, a Swiss army knife. It's a (laughs) multi-use. A multi-tool. Yeah. Multi-tool. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, yeah, I hope that that, that move really works for you or else you're just stuck with the mousetrap for forever. Yeah. Like, don't, don't get stuck with the mousetrap if the mousetrap doesn't work for you is the moral of the story, AJ. Communication and con- communication and consent. If you love the mousetrap, make it your own forever. If you and especially if you both love it, I, I also like that at the very at the very end. And I'm going to get shit for this, but at the very end, Catherine clearly did consider offing Nick. She thought about it. She thought about it for a second until he said that he didn't actually need to have kids. Oh, and that's they right. Live happily ever after, and then she was like, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "I feel seen." Right? She, he was like, look, I don't need rugrats. And she's like, if you don't need rugrats. Then I don't need rugrats. And I was like, then I, yeah. I could, I won't kill you yet. Yeah, at least not yet. Exactly. There's also a great, by which I mean horrible, tagline at the end of that scene where Nick says, next time I'll use a rubber. Oh my God. Does he say that? He does. He does. So, first of all, 92, San Francisco. Yeah, literally. AIDS crisis. Oh, my Lord. Um, We know that she's a multiple, no no diss there, but a multiple partner person. And he is having raw dog sex with her. So, everything's good. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) I didn't even notice the, oh, no. I mean- 
you know, there's no mention of any sort of protection throughout the movie. Why would there be? But, um, but yeah, I didn't notice they said that at the end. That's sad. That's gross. And then after the scene, you know, this is where we kind of get our Gene Triplehorn set up. We find out more about their affair. We have some things that make it look like she maybe is the murderer. So we're going full down this path. Mm-hmm. We sort of tie up this storyline where Sharon Stone has been writing a book about a cop who's a shooter. And now that she's finished the book, she doesn't need him anymore. And the book is called uh, Shooter. Shooter. Gross. Uh, meanwhile, Gus gets a tip. Gus. Gus. That there's some files at this uh, location mm-hmm. uh, where he goes and immediately is He's gonna go murdered. Meet with her, her old roommate. Her old roommate who is going to, we think, well, the roommate is going to tell him, uh, the roommate who is really Sharon Stone, uh, that Gene Triplehorn is a killer. Yeah. But he gets there. He gets murdered. Uh, at which point Michael Douglas comes in, finds him dead, and Gene Triplehorn comes out. And here's what's so sucky about why Nick is a horrible cop the whole time is she says to him, this woman who he's been sleeping with on and off for years, who has saved his bacon many times, who he has raped. She says, I got here because I got a message on my machine to meet you here. Yeah. He doesn't explore it at all. She reaches in her pocket and he just doesn't wait for a thing. (laughs) Just shoots her. Uh, So now she's dead and very conveniently, uh, they find the wig, they find the stuff, and now we're all tied up nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It that I don't know. I don't know if it's a two star movie. I don't know if it's worth that. It's that it's that bad, but it's not as good as you know what it was. It was just entertaining. Yes, yes. I put uh, in my notes this ending, the reveal after the dip to black, cheap, cheap, ice yeah. pick, boo. Yeah, the the dip to black and then back in and down to the ice pick I was like I don't know man it makes it look like you didn't know how you wanted to end it and yes. so you shot an extra bit and you went back and forth in the editing room should we or should we not show the ice pick under the bed and they were like nah we should show it and so they just like sort of blurred it onto the screen I was like okay <laughs> sure I have this image that they focus grouped it and they had the audience like do you like Sharon Stone? Yes or no? Do you want her to be innocent? Yes or no? And then at the end, the the focus group was like, we don't like her. We want her to be guilty. And so they went, all right, let's film. Let's get Sharon back in. We're gonna we're gonna oh, film this ice pick. Because truthfully, if you watch that entire movie, it could have just as easily been that she was innocent from this the series of events that happened. Yeah, yeah 100 percent It didn't need to be her. Yeah, no, it's weird. I think you're a little Twitter-pated by Sharon Stone, and you were like, well, maybe she only killed one person. Oh, no, 100%. I was definitely under her spell. Yeah, I get it. It was the reason I watched it a million times, obviously. Who in the world would not be in love with Sharon Stone in this movie? Nobody. Come on. uh, Do you have eyes? Who's going to say she's not my type? Do you not have eyes? She's everyone's type. All right, sexy, sexy, not sexy. I'm going to have to fall very much in the middle of the, in the middle ground of this only because I feel as though the 
Sharon Stone sex scenes are quite sexy, even with the ice pick murder. I think that those so wait, scenes- So wait, ice pick cool. murder scene, sexy. Sexy. To you. Right. Um, right, making right out in the club? The right up until the jugular. Um, Hot. Quite what about making out in club with ladies? Make, making out in the club, very sexy. Sexy club Agreed. Scene. First sexual encounter with Michael Douglas, even the mousetrap, quite sexy. Anything that Michael Douglas is doing throughout the whole movie, not sexy. Not sexy. Okay, yeah. so Sharon Stone in scene equals sexy. Yes. Everything else. Anything Nick does with Gene Triplehorn, rape. Or <laughs> yeah. rape adjacent. Or rape assault. Adjacent or assault adjacent. or whatever. Yeah, just not good. Not uh, just a big Me Too moment. I, okay, making out with ladies at the club, sexy. Yeah. Hot. I love people grinding up on each other in clubs. I love it. Yeah, no, club scenes are sexy. I mean, like Blade. Remember Blade? Blade was yes. just like, ongoing club sex scene yes, <laughs> and it it's hot like, it's super hot and i don't really even know what the plot was and i've seen it like four times look i was sexy, like club scenes i don't know seems good to me i think she and michael douglas had great chemistry mm-hmm. but i kept getting distracted by this silk tie mousetrap move where i was like <laughs> work on your batter's box of sex moves lady yeah yeah um but One time hot, two times, I'm not sure. I'm going to say that the lack of variety in this supposedly very experimental BDSM experimental lady uh, quiver of sexual moves Uh gave me diminishing returns. Okay. All right. Accept That's what I will say. That is is fine. And I think Michael Douglas' character gets the award for worst character in a movie we've watched so far. As bad as Mickey Rourke, I think, in Night and a Half. Yeah. A hundred, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah, just as bad. Awful, and I think the treatment of our gay characters really not, loathsome. Not, not good. Not a good look. Nope. Did you try any moves as you became a more sexually fulfilled lady from this movie? Steal? Did you steal any moves? Did I steal any moves? I no, no. I mean, there's not. That's a thing. No, because you would. The only real move to steal here would be the mousetrap, and that is just asking for a concussion or something. It's not good. Um, doesn't seem that fun. I mean, no. I'm 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 a fan of all all of her moves up until. Okay. I think that even at 20, I don't think I could have ever managed to arch my back into the full back bend ankle grab that the 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 move to get the ice pick would have required yep. so i might just have had a flexibility issue getting yeah. in my way and i think yeah. i think my mousetrap days are too late now you hadn't yoga with adrian yet and, I was... uh, the camel isn't that the camel That's where the you camel. grab your own ankles yeah i um I, the, the camel hadn't happened yet so how how would you know how to do that you're right yeah. this was pre-camel pre-camel so on that note <laughs> On that note, I think uh, this has been this has been Basic Instinct. Yeah, it was really fun. I liked it. It's not a great movie, but I did like doing this with you. So this was very fun. <laughs> All right, thank you for deconstructing Basic Instinct with us. We did it together. And if you like this podcast, please go give us a review. Would you? Uh, it would mean the world to us. And if you didn't like this podcast, the perfect revenge is to tell your enemies to leave us a review. No, don't do that. Tell no one about it. If you didn't like it, tell no one. 
Uh, or you could just follow us for updates on Instagram at That's Not Sexy Pod. Or uh, send us some suggestions for movies you'd like us to cover at info at that's not sexy pod.com. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Seriously, you, you rock. Give yourself a Seriously, hand. Seriously, for real. Thanks. Yeah. That's Not Sexy is brought to you by Morning Fog Entertainment, created by Alexis Mixter and produced by Alexis Mixter and AJ D'Agostino, edited by John Morrow with music from Disaster Knot and extra inspiration from the Dagmaro Hounds, Bowie and Scully. We love you.